Hello, this is Anthony Day, and welcome to another episode of the Sustainable Futures Show. Today, I'm going to talk about food. It's time we accepted GM foods. Genetically modified GM foods can produce higher yields than conventional crops. They can be designed to do well in near-desert conditions, in waterlogged fields, or on land that is too salty or sandy for other crops to grow. GM crops can be resistant to certain weed killers so that competing plants can be controlled and the crop can flourish on its own. GM crops can be developed with a sap that is toxic to insect predators so there's no need to spray them with insecticides. Strains of GM crops, such as golden rice, can deliver vitamins to populations suffering vitamin deficiency. The strength of GM is its versatility and the fact that crops can be tailored to produce specific characteristics. In 1798, Robert Malthus published his first essay on population. His view was that food production would not be able to expand fast enough to support the increasing world population, and that before long we would see global starvation. That was more than 200 years ago, when the world population was well under 1 billion. Now there are over 7 billion people on the planet, and while there are still significant numbers living below the poverty line, the majority of the rest have a diet far superior to what Malthus would have enjoyed. Agricultural science has moved on and on and kept food production ahead of the demands of the rising population. Although the rate of increase in population accelerated sharply in the 20th century, it is now slowing down. Population is still increasing, but not as rapidly as it was. Nevertheless, it is expected to reach 9 billion by 2050, which is only 35 years away. At the same time, a rapid rise in the middle classes in the newly developing nations means a disproportionate increase in demand for food. In the past, new agricultural technology has provided the answer. Surely GM foods are the next step to meeting this demand. As you probably know, GM foods are widely grown in the United States and are banned almost everywhere else, in Europe, Africa, India and South America. Last month, the EU loosened its GM ban slightly and said that certain crops could be grown if individual countries permitted them. Most EU countries are against, and in the UK there's a total GM ban in Scotland and in Wales. Why should this be? The argument against GM crops is presented on many fronts by environmental campaigners including Greenpeace and Friends of the Earth. Mark Linus, author of books on climate change and Guardian columnist, was a major opponent, taking part in direct action to destroy GM crops. Opponents claim that there are unknown health risks in eating GM foods. Vast fields of monocrops threaten biodiversity and the chemical runoff from crop treatments can contaminate groundwater and the neighbouring land. Opponents believe that agriculture should be organic, that organic food is better for you, and organic farming is sustainable and kinder to the environment. GM crops in neighbouring fields can contaminate organic crops through cross-pollination, 
and worst of all, saved seed from GM crops will not produce plants with the same characteristics. Farmers cannot use saved seed but must buy fresh seed every year from the major corporations which dominate the GM market. In fact, none of these arguments can be supported. American consumers have been eating GM foods for 20 years and in that time there have been no recorded cases of any ill effects. In the same period, consumers have suffered food poisoning, including fatalities, from eating organic foods. While organic food may taste better to some people, no evidence has ever been found to show that it is in any way more nutritious than conventionally produced food. Monocrops do threaten biodiversity and steps must be taken to protect the environment. But conventional farming involves monocrops. They're not unique to GM agriculture. Chemical runoffs can be damaging, but conventional fields and even organic farms are treated with permitted chemicals. GM crops producing their own systemic insecticides and fixing nitrogen as they grow need fewer chemical treatments. There will be a small possibility of cross-pollination between GM and organic crops in neighbouring fields, but should organic farmers be able to eliminate this risk by preventing other farmers from using GM? Perhaps yes, if organic farming is unquestionably the best form of agriculture, but this is not so. Yes, crop rotation and companion planting are effective techniques, but organic farming is generally far more labour-intensive than conventional farming. The killer fact is that organic farming cannot match the yields of conventional farming, and while it may be economically viable, as long as consumers who believe in it will pay a premium for organic food, it cannot solve the challenge of rocketing demand for food. Yields are 20 to 50% lower than conventional farms. Conventional agriculture has increased production throughout the 20th century without a significant increase in agricultural acreage. To get more organic food, we would need more land. Do we cut down the Amazon rainforests? Destroy the last of the jungles where the orangutan live? The other argument is the so-called terminator seed. If the farmer saves seed from a GM crop, plants grown from these seeds will not have the characteristics of their parent plant. This is nothing new. Conventional agriculture uses F1 hybrids, which are plants bred by cross-pollination of two different plants to concentrate desired characteristics in a new plant. Saved seed from F1 hybrid does not produce the characteristics of the parent plant either. Farmers have to buy seed from the suppliers. And suppliers have to cover the cost of research and the cost of production, which for F1 hybrids typically depends on labour-intensive hand pollination. GM crops involve research, design, testing and production. All these costs have to be recovered. I mentioned Mark Linus, arch-opponent of GM Foods. This week he was interviewed on BBC Radio 4. You can catch up with the interview on the BBC Radio Player. Linus explained how he had changed his mind, how he had stood up at the Oxford Farming Conference and apologised to the farmers for opposing GM, for destroying trial crops and for being part of a highly effective campaign which managed to get GM banned throughout large parts of the world. Why this change of heart? Linus has written a number of books on climate change. As part of the process, 
He researched the science in detail because he wanted to be able to defend his point of view with facts. He failed to examine the issue of GM crops from the same perspective. But eventually he realised he could not rely on science to support his position on climate change and at the same time deny the science on GM. He researched the science on GM and found he had to change his position. Where does this leave us? It leaves us in a Europe with a half-hearted support for GM. A Europe where Monsanto, leader in GM technology, has decided to invest elsewhere. We will have to accept lower than possible yields, though as wealthy countries we can always import food to make up any shortfall. It may become increasingly difficult to find non-GM food to import. It leaves Indians and Brazilians importing GM seeds on the black market. It leaves Kenyans in fear of prison if they use GM crops. It leaves 500,000 people across the world going blind through vitamin A deficiency because Greenpeace and others opposed the introduction of golden rice, a GM food rich in vitamin A. It leaves policy in the hands of those driven by emotion, not science. One of the most worrying aspects of all this is that few people are able to take a logical view of the facts of a case. Too many decisions are based on headlines rather than science. This has implications for all aspects of sustainability. We would all like business as usual. We'd all like to keep driving petrol cars. We'd like to keep our central heating high, to fly to the sun every year, to shop till we drop. We may be able to achieve the same results, but only if we define and implement the changes needed to preserve our standard of living in this rapidly changing world. We need a scientific understanding of how to make the best of things. And then we need to make informed choices while we still can. I'm Anthony Day. Thank you. Thank you for listening to this latest episode of the Sustainable Futures Show. I hope you found it thought-provoking. If you've got any comments or responses, please do comment. But that's all for the moment. So thanks once again for listening. Apologies, this is a couple of days late. But on Friday, I didn't have a voice. I wasn't able to record anything. And I will aim to have another episode up this coming Friday. Till then, that's all. Goodbye for now. Thank you.